And wait, and wait. And baby, I'm TFC till I die. A transfer window like no other in a season that kind of feels like no other is now wrapped. Uh, a season's not wrapped, but the transfer window is definitely closed. Uh, and we're starting to see some of the fruits of that summer transfer window labor come through in results uh, with Toronto FC. Welcome to this week's po- uh, episode of the Toronto Till I Die podcast. I'm your host, Mike Newell, uh, joined as always by Mike Singh. And uh, once again, off the uh, bench and into the starting eleven. Uh, is Sean Levy, my co-host at the Tunnel Club uh, show. Guys, uh, welcome. Uh, it's been a week, so we, t- we took a little time off, recharged the batteries. Um, in that time, we had three TFC matches. Um, but how are you guys doing? How's, how was your long weekend last weekend? And how was your weekend this past weekend? I know, man. It's It's been a minute. Um, well, I guess first off, just happy to be back with you guys, obviously here on a positive note for a number of different reasons to chat TFC. It seems like the vibes are vibes are good right now in the city, in Toronto with the club. Um, so on that note, positive uh, weekend, man, Mike, I, I saw that you were at the, the TFC two game, with taking in some of the young reds. How was that? That was good. Uh, good action. They look really good. One three nil against Orlando uh, City's B side um, did not look good. Um, uh, actually, got to sit beside Bob Bradley and uh, Michael Bradley for the first half. Uh, so it, it's it's weird. It's not. It's generally not open to the public. I don't think. Um, but uh, the game was really good. Um, Paul Rothrock. Keep an eye out for Paul Rothbard, man. He looked really good, feisty up front. Uh, but yeah, overall, a, a really good experience and a really good uh, game in the threes or the twos right now, excuse me, um, are sitting fourth in the Eastern Conference in MLS, MLS Next Pro. So looking like they're going to head to the playoffs, I think, for the first time ever uh, in uh, in TFC2 history. Yeah. Go ahead, Sean. Yeah, I, I caught some of the highlights. Uh, they have been playing real well, aren't they? On like an eight or nine game unbeaten streak um so TFC eight games yeah okay yeah eight so they're doing real well um yeah i've i've seen that that roth roth rock is it pronounced yeah mm-hmm. yeah he's you know he's, some minutes he's, for tfc this year yeah he's put some he has i mean let's slow the brakes down on the young kids going up to the first team but you know he's definitely been impressive in the in the little time i've noticed i've seen and the highlights i've seen with tfc too yeah, it's yeah. um it's interesting with the you could tell the the guys who've had senior minutes uh when you watch TFC two like Paul, like uh, Themi, I'm gonna I always butcher his last name, and Tag and Tagalu. Am I getting that right? Antonoglu. Antonoglu, okay, close. Um I'm probably butchering that too, but that's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I gotta get I don't have the pronunciation guy like you get, Mike. So I gotta I gotta get on that. Um uh, but uh, Jordan Peruzza, you could see even uh, Stephen Yates. Uh, some of those guys who've gotten some first team minutes, you can see that there's a lot, they play with a lot of confidence at the MLS next pro level. It's of course, like Sean said, pump the brakes. We'll see how they do if they ever sort of get to that senior level and get more minutes. Um, but right now, nobody wants to talk about the kids 
everybody wants to talk about uh, the the transfers that came in uh, during the summer window, a very, very busy window uh, for TFC. And we knew that was going to be the case. Bob Bradley uh, and, and Bill Manning both mentioned that throughout the season. That's going to take several windows uh, for this to get built. It's funny enough it's what Bob Bradley kind of told me yesterday um, at the game. But they made massive steps uh, in that uh, in that building, and and it, you know getting into sort of just really quickly the the three games since we were last on the show. I know these were covered on the the Tunnel Club, but I wanted to go over it with you guys uh, just really quickly. The V's Cup loss to Vancouver, the nil nil draw at New England, and obviously this past weekend a four three barn burner uh, at Nashville. Um, but Mike, you know, I'll, I'll kind of start with you. Just in terms of those three matches, obviously now that the the DPs have had time to settle in, obviously we're missing Mark Anthony K over that time period as he's he's been hurt. But are you seeing improvement in in the squad, um, and are you seeing sort of an uh, sort of a an upward trajectory in terms of uh, where the team is going? I'm not saying playoffs or anything like that, but just in terms of its overall play from game to game. Absolutely. Like, for sure. 1,000 million percent. Um, Watching this team at times this year, even during the stretch where they picked up wins and picked up results, you could walk away from those games and say they weren't the better team, even though they picked up the wins and picked up the results. This last stretch, you have obviously that the penalty shootout loss to Vancouver, the little bit of a demoralizing nil-nil draw to New England because I think that game was very much in the balance for the team. And then this recent game against Nashville, all three of those games, you step away. You come away from that. those games thinking Toronto FC were easily, easily the better team on the pitch for each one of those games. So I think that's the difference is that you're looking at the, the football of the, that this team's playing, some of the the confidence that they're playing with some of the passes that they're playing with, you know, Bob Bradley has, has come in and said that he wants to build a team that enjoys possession, likes having the ball at their feet. And we are seeing that come to fruition. Are they perfect by, by no means, but it's drastically better than what we've seen early on this year, as expected when you inject that much quality into the side. Yeah. And I think, you know, from, when looking at the game, even in, in, you know, the loss, you know, you sort of have a, a loss, a draw and a win and these three games to kind of look at. There's an argument, obviously, that the, the loss and the draw, TFC could have walked away with wins in each one of those games. Um, obviously, the, the cup loss in Vancouver, you lose it on penalties, you know, but for the most part, I, I thought TFC played decently in that game. Um, I know they had a hard time breaking down sort of the deeper lying block of Vancouver. And, and that's obviously something that the team is working on and it's not perfect yet in terms of them being able to, to break teams down in lower blocks. But I thought they looked a lot better in the Nashville game in terms of how they, they played and broke Nashville down a bit. Yeah. And the thing about that too is, it's when TFC went to Vancouver earlier in the season, just going back to your original question, how much better they're looking. Mm-hmm. Vancouver played them straight up. They tried to play with TFC. They tried to keep possession. They tried to build pragmatically. I think a sign of 
how good TFC are in terms of the eyes of other teams now is Vancouver gave them the utmost respect. And that was simply just uh, sitting back from the get-go, from the jump. And essentially conceding possession to TFC, essentially saying, we're not even going to try and press you guys. You guys, we're just going to drop 11 back and you're going to have to essentially beat us. So um, I think that just shows where TFC are in terms of the league. And and I think you're going to start seeing that approach from quite a few teams now moving forward when they face TFC, where they just concede that TFC will be the better side with the ball. We're essentially going to have to beat them off the counter. Absolutely. And Sean, we've talked about this a bit on the Tunnel Club, but obviously improved in in performances from TFC, but but still not full points in each one of those games, right? You don't have a cup. You didn't get a full three in in New England. Obviously, you do get the full three points in Nashville. But can can you kind of, I guess, can we as fans kind of just allay ourselves with the idea that, okay, not all these games are are finishing in three points and we're kind of thinking, okay, can we make a push for the playoffs here? But also just lay ourselves with the fact that, Hey, look, this team is looking a lot better. And, you know, with a couple more additions in the winter window, look out, right. This team could be really good. Well, I think one of the ways we can look at it is just look at, look at the game against Nashville, you know, Nashville maybe don't necessarily play as much of a defensive low block style uh, system, but, Anytime TFC had the ball, especially in the attacking third, every man was dropping back, right? Because they know that TFC's, you know, we have the firepower, but we still found ways to put the ball in the net. And that's going to be the key. And I think one of the things we struggled in Vancouver clearly was being able to beat that low block defensive style that Vancouver put against us. We had some, you know, we had some struggles with New England. You know, I'll take the the nil-nil draw, but we still they drop back and that we're having issues, especially in the middle. Right. But then you add a Richie Laurent and that in my opinion, kind of spreads the field a little wider and allows our skilled players more space on the ball. Look how, like, I mean, look at, I rewatched Jonathan schools this morning and especially that first goal, like he literally, like he was shifted his man, right. Didn't get the space he wanted cut back, got just enough space where he could take that shot. And he, I mean, they didn't, like, there were, there was maybe two or three guys close enough, but they kind of all just stood there and watched to see what was going to happen. Right? Sean, can we, sorry to cut you out, the, the Ozo goal, to, a couple of things, which is kind of building on your point. I think two things led to that goal. One, if you rewatch that, look at Richie Larea's run, yeah, which is what you were kind of touching on. That little dummy run just sprinting up the right-hand side is what allowed Jonathan Ozoro to pull the ball to his left because the defenders essentially cheated thinking he was going to play the pass to to Richie. Yeah. And credit to Ozo, who is capable of not only pulling the ball to his left, but having the confidence, which is the second thing, to hit the ball with his left foot. And that's what essentially created that goal. But sorry to cut you off. Go back to, to essentially what you were saying. Yeah, so essentially, but... Like having now an additional wing right, you know, right back because we play in a four-man back system, but two um, fullbacks that aren't afraid to go up and down the field. That spreads the the or you know widens the pitch 
and forces the defense to spread them out wider versus them hunkering down right outside that 18 and saying, all right, TFC, let's see what you can do, right? So it's only been one game, but to me, I've known that was one of the, the noticeable things that, that has will change and has changed in just by having Richie on the pitch. Well, let's, let's sort of dig into that a little bit, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about this more in segment two in terms of assessing the roster makeover from this window. But, um, no, uh, yes, in 60, what, three minutes that Richie was on the pitch on Saturday, I mean, noticeable difference. I also noticed that it really opened up Frederico Bernadeschi in terms of space. I noticed it a lot in the New England game where they were able to double and triple on him effectively and be a little bit more physical with him. Whereas Nashville had to respect Richie Laurent. They had to respect the fact that Bernadeschi could slip him in in behind. And Richie's always, you know, the, the book is that people know what Richie could do. He could dribble by you easily. He's always going to attack that byline and try to cut it back or beat you and get a tight angled shot in, right? And, and Nashville had to respect that. And it, in many ways, when they didn't quite do that as effectively, it led to the second goal where Bernadeschi was able to receive the ball from Jaden Nelson um, and cut onto his left. And they kind of the, the second defender a little overcommitted just slightly enough that Bernadeschi was able to slip Laurie in. And, and, it, and look, again, I am a proponent of Kosey Thompson, but it's clear the differences between Kosey and, and Richie Larea, right? Kosey might not necessarily have the comments to hit that first time across the face of the goal, Whereas Richie, for, first thing, he knows to do that because he knows someone's going to be there, especially as knowing Oso uh, and where he was. Oso was the quickest to react and get that second goal. I thought that was a, a perfect illustration, um, or at least one of the perfect illustrations of how important Richie Larea, his acquisition is to the team uh, in this window. Kosi's not making those runs up and down the pitch. He's, he's no. been hesitant to make those runs. And that's, I mean, that alone is one of the, like, the, the crosses Richie brings, the runs, the attacking the 18. I mean, like Mike said, Richie playing, you know, the dummy along the right side on that first goal. Richie's, you know, laying that cross in to, to also for the second goal. Him attacking that, the box, um, allowing us goal number three. I mean, Three goals, you can almost count to Richie, two and a half at least. You know what I mean? Like, that's a big upgrade. And again, like I said, no distacosi, but he's just when you're again when you have to take convert somebody into a new role. There's so many things you lose when you're trying to do that. Here's my question for you guys: Does Richie Larea look better than when he left TFC? Yeah. Yes. Hungry. Yes. He look, I mean, I know, granted, he had to go off with, with cramping and, and obviously the transatlantic flight. You know, the, the 72 hours of his sort of arrival back into the city, obviously, is going to take a lot out of you. But I thought he did look better. Um, and I think, you know, there's a part of the reason why I'm wearing this for the Lorea, you know, Forest kit right now, right? I think his time there training with Forest helped him out a lot. I think, I, I think what he is, but look, like, like, Obviously, he's still got the pace. He's still got trickery on the ball. You know, he's he's still ha- has the ability, like we said, to drive at at players and, and make them very uncomfortable, as Dan Lovitz found out the hard way, right? But 
I think he's also making better runs, at he's least in that sure. first game. What I saw, I thought he made better runs. I thought he, he he immediately had a really great connection with Bernadeschi, which is just massive. Like that, that that's just massive for for Richie, for the team, and for Bernadeschi as well, right? Like you could see at times in in both the Vancouver and the New England game, you know, with one with Jaden and the other with Kosi, you know, there's just times he was not going to pass to them, right? He was, he just was not going to pass to them and would rather dribble it inside, far inside to try to connect on the left-hand side or try to play a one-two with Jimenez. So having Richie there and his intelligence in terms of when to make runs, how to make space, you know, like you said, Sean, making dummy runs to open up space. That, I think, has improved in his game in the short amount of time he was at Forest. And, I mean, I don't think Richie's played with the kind of talent, like, no disrespect to who we've had on the roster before. But along the right side, who has Richie had that has been on the level of Bernadeschi? Pablo Piatti. That's the closest one. Right? And, so not, like, and is it that close? Like, it, no offense to Pablo Piatti, but... but there's a there's a difference right so there's a difference to me that would motivate me to that would give me a hunger to want to play with alongside somebody like that who you're going to be giving and going throughout you know the game so i think that i think there's that motivation as well and i think it's he's hungry he's you know he has he's been sitting for for a while he wants to show like he can play we all know he can play and i think he just really wants to just really show nottingham forest like Maybe you kind of just didn't really see what I can bring to the table. Like, yeah, you guys are, are both so right there. And for me, like, it, it's kind of ironic to say because Richie Luria, the one thing he doesn't lack is is confidence. But I felt like he's playing with another level of confidence that he's almost, like, better than Major League Soccer. And he's willing to try. He's well, hey, Richie Luria is always willing to try different things and try going one view, but it feels like he's he's confident now doing so in, in a way that we haven't seen from Richie Lurie in the past. And what makes Richie so good, as we all know, it's his legs, first of all, his tenacity, his toughness, all those sort of intangibles that kind of make up who Richie Lurie is. And then we're seeing it kind of come on full display after the stint at Nottingham because he's He's now gone overseas and gained that extra, extra bit of confidence. Because as we all know, Richie Larea's career, when it started off, like he walked on to TFC, right? It was sort of a, okay, now you've got to prove yourself kind of thing. Richie Larea doesn't need to prove himself in MLS anymore. And I think he obviously knows that. And I think what he needs to prove, maybe to himself a little bit even, is that he's better than MLS. And I think that's that's why Richie is such a huge addition because I, I do believe he's actually better than this league. Um, so it's such a such a massive addition for this club to get Richie back. Yeah. Well, we'll have to have this discussion another day, but, you know, maybe we should, what it, where we think Richie, his level of play is outside of MLS. I think, I think he's a, yes, we could have this conversation at, at another time. I think he's a solid championship level player i think he could play sure. in the premier league i'm not sure as a starter but that's you, yeah did you watch nottingham for us on saturday you can tell me you couldn't take 20 minutes of uh, uh, trying to I'm, run uh, down the wing like right but i'm i would wrap from from a personal perspective the reason i would say championship 
because I think he's a starter there. Yeah. I think he's a 90-minute player there. The problem with, yeah. with, with Premier League is win-now scenario. So you may, like, you're he's competing with sometimes, you know, again, not that he's not, if he goes to Qatar, he's a world-class player, but, you know, a different level of world-class players, right? So the 20 minutes here and there are great, but I would rather see him 90 minutes week in, week out. No, and I think that's that's why Richie came back, right? He like he wanted minutes. He wanted guaranteed minutes, and he knew he knew he could get guaranteed minutes. Like he'll slot into the eleven, no problem here, like not a question, right? Uh, ahead of Qatar. Now, obviously, how long or how many games he gets until the season depends on obviously how far TFC can go and what kind of run they can make, but. I think there is a there's obviously a case for him to go back to the championship. Maybe this is an opportunity to showcase that, and a championship team comes in and says, "Yeah, okay, we'll take you on loan." Um, eventually down the road, or you know, if Forest get relegated, which again, if you looked at Saturdays, maybe a possibility. Sorry, Forest fans, but like uh, you know, then it's an opportunity again for him to show that he can play at that level and and uh, and get real minutes. Uh, in the championship, but you know, we'll see when that time comes to pass, what that looks like for now, he's a Toronto FC player. And I think everybody is very glad that he is back um, at Toronto FC um, really quickly uh, in terms of just the recaps on the games. I, I really wanted to go back to this sort of something that came up a lot, a lot of questions on, on the tunnel club show. Uh, and I want to bring this here is um, penalties. That's something that's come up a lot. Who takes them? Why do we keep missing them? Um, the 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 amount of people who were already jumping on Lorenzo Insigne for missing that penalty against New England, I, I, it surprised me. I'll be honest, it surprised me. I didn't think, yes, of course, he missed the penalty, and, and that's something, that's a talking point. I didn't think it was going to become as big a talking point as it did in terms of, you know, you know, why did he miss? You know, how could you pay $50 million, have a guy take a penalty and miss? I mean, it's all tied back to the salary thing, right? I think he's going to have to navigate that, you know, until he inevitably breaks out, which could have been on Saturday um, with an absolute stunner. I thought it was his best game in the TFC shirt. But, you know, obviously, I, I think I know the answer here, but just were people overacting a little bit in terms of just Insigne's start to life in Toronto. Um, because I yes. like to me, I thought he was fine. Uh, obviously no goals, but he was fine. Can we go back? I mean, people, I, I don't know why people overreact and go look at Javinko's stats. They're the exact <laughs> same, basically. Like, he had one assist, one goal after four games. Like, they're, like, chill people, right? Like Fans overreact? First, what? First of all, like, I'm not going to say, I have no issue. Like, he didn't take a penalty against uh, Vancouver. Nothing that we can talk about there. Okay, we can go to New England. He lines up to take a penalty, then there's a delay because VAR. He, you know, he mentally you kind of you're 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 ready, then you kind of drop for a sec and you got to get your head back focused, right? That allows also the keeper to kind of like really set himself and get ready for the shot. He took a shit penalty. That's it. I don't think that's a judgment of his penalty shooting capabilities or I don't think fans need to lose their issue over that. It's one penalty. 
Like, I'll take him missing that penalty and him scoring that cracker on Saturday any day because that was a beautiful goal. So it's a penalty. Bernard Jesse went and popped. We have somebody who can take it for now. It's not like Jimenez hasn't scored in the past. We have guys that can put the ball in the net. Do you remember watching last season when Mark Delgado and Aro Jr. were the ones that were stepping up and taking Toronto FC's penalties? And now look at the luxury that TFC have. They have guys like Insigne, Kershito, Bernadeschi, Jesus Jimenez. Like, the list goes on and on in terms of quality players. So we haven't even talked about Oza yet. Quality players who can step yeah. up and no, and we love Oza, him. but he's, he's yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's, that's a little <laughs> yeah. too far. He's right? winding you up. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, we have quality players who can step up to the spot and and finish penalties, which is something with set pieces to corner kicks, free kicks, all of that. Um, getting back to Mike's original question, where people are reacting, surprise, surprise. Lorenzo Insigne, headliner, big money sign, and misses a penalty shot in his first attempt. But he comes back on Saturday, turned two defenders, looks far post, sends a screamer near post, absolute galazzo, ends up being the game winner for TFC. Like, I, no one here is worried about Insigne. The part that, the part that really, um, I think, really riled up fans is the opportunity that was lost because of that. And it's the fact that it was three points on the road yeah. that could have yeah. been that in TFC's been. bag. In such a, it should have been. In such an important game, the fact TFC had won a road game, the fact TFC had that penalty shootout loss in Vancouver, there's just a lot of things building up to that moment. And, of course, it finally feels like TFC catch a break because that DeAndre Kerr penalty was iffy. Iffy, let's call it. Soft. But we'll call it soft. And then he steps up, of course, and 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 you know, TFC's go to guy doesn't doesn't get the penalty. So, you know, it's not not ideal. I understand the frustration. That being said, I don't think anyone was really, really worried about Lorenzo Insigne's uh quality moving forward, as long as you're watching the games and what he's already brought to this team. Now, Mike, the other talking point, of course, I think someone's already brought this up in the chat was the incident on on Saturday's match when it's not Insigne who grabs the ball, it's Federico Bernadeschi who grabs the ball. And he, of course, goes to take the shot, but it's Jesus Jimenez who's there kind of going back and forth with him a little bit. Obviously, you know, you, you kind of tell the cameras on these guys, so they're kind of just maybe holding back some of their true emotions about how they feel. Um, and it ends up being Bernadeschi who takes the penalty. So there's a little bit of, of tension there. I get it because Jesus Jimenez is actually the guy that used to take penalty shots for his team back in Poland. Um, Bernadeschi actually didn't take penalties for Juventus, which, of course, when you're playing on a side like Juventus, you're fifth, sixth, seventh down the pecking order when there's so much quality on the pitch there. Um, so I understand Jesus Jimenez's side to it, especially when he's in the middle of a goal drought. A goal can do him wonders. I get that. But you're not. It's it's Bernadeschi. Like That's Bernadeschi's penalty uh, at the end of the day. And I think when you looked at the Canadian Championship final, the goal that he scored and the penalty shot that he scored was 10 out of 10. So why not step up and, and take another shot? So, yeah, is it an issue? Uh, for me personally, it's a non-issue because I understand why both players would want to take the penalty. It's 
it's a good problem to have. You'd rather have people fighting over it than had not looking around being like, all right, who's gonna who's gonna be the one to take this penalty, right? So uh, yeah, it, talking point, but nothing nothing. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't really read too much into it other than I had a quick Gilberto Defoe flashback. Um, <laughs> obviously, different situation as it was a free kick and not a penalty, but um, yeah, I mean, look, I, in in that situation. Bernadeschi's taking the penalty. Like, I get it. Like, it's obviously Jimenez is, has been taking the penalties this year for the most part and hasn't been poor. He's been he's been good. Um, but, yeah, no. Bernadeschi's taking the penalty, right? Like, has he taken really a penalty? Has he taken took at least one. I thought he took at least one. He might have year. taken one. It, it's been yeah. paused, usually. Oh, yeah, that's true. That was, It was mainly paused. So, but here, like, here's my... I was just going to say, sorry, quick, go ahead, quickly, go ahead. Um, when it comes to... Uh, penalties. Isn't isn't Bernadeschi a DP? Yes. So, uh, like, his status kind of like trumps. Hey, when you walk in the room, like, I mean, it's kind of like you notice Insigne wasn't even around in the picture when it came to the, to wanting to take that shot. Well, that was a pregame discussion. That was a you missed the last one, buddy. Sorry. Right. So I I like the fact that both of them are hungry and want to take it for me. That's something exciting that we have that, that desire from players to step up. Um, I know, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I, 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 like Mike said, I think, you know, he's got a goal scoring drought. He just kind of, he wants to break it. He wants to get that, 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 that monkey off of his back. I totally understand. Right. No, I, I, yeah. I, I, I think I want me personally. I wanted Bernadeschi taking the shot. I mean, look when Bernadeschi put the ball down, it was one of the few times this year where I had no doubt that it was going in. Like I did not have any qualms or any worry about like, ooh, I don't know. Like, no, I, you know, I, I had pretty sure he's going to rifle this, and I don't think Joel's has a shot at this. And it turned out to be the case, right? He didn't, he didn't mess about. No stutter stepping. No trying to overthink his penalty. He put his left foot through the ball and smashed it. And if there wasn't a backing to the net, they'd probably still be traveling, right? Like it was, it was a no nonsense penalty. And sometimes it's what you need um, as a penalty taker. Uh, so right now, to me, it's Bernadeschi's the penalty taker until otherwise, until Agreed. something else happens. He's the penalty taker. I'm sure Insigne will get another shot at some point. I'm sure that's what will actually happen. But to me, it's Bernadeschi is your first choice, and then you can sort of sort the order after that. Unless it's late in the game. And if that penalty is, is meaningless, I think you have to give that to Jesus Jimenez just based on the fact that he's he is your number nine, and he's in a bit of a goal-scoring drought. Do him a favor. Do him a solid. Just give him a chance to get out of that um, that drought. And as many people are pointing out in the chat right now, it's... He's dang good at penalties himself. You know, he has has a missed one in his career. Bernardeski is also pretty dang good himself. So you're right, Mike. Bernardeski is the guy now until he probably misses. Then you probably have either Jesus or Krishita who steps up next to the line. I, I think it's he just moves himself to the back of the line. I keep forgetting oh, he was great. a general. He's, right? been He's great really too good, too. He career. has a really great record. Yeah, yeah I keep forgetting oh, yeah. that. We have we have some conversation around Jesus Jimenez a little later in the show, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of put a a pin in the Jesus Jimenez uh, conversation because he's coming up later in the show. But I want to switch tracks really quickly to sort of looking at this rebuild so far, um, at least in the tr- summer transfer window. 
a lot of ins, almost all exclusively ins, aside from Jake Schaffelberg going out the door and yeah, Ralph Rizzo. Um, but a lot of new faces, well, new faces, like some of them are old new faces, uh, <laughs> returning to the team. Uh, but I wanted to, to go through, so just looking at, and I'm not including Insigne in this. I know he started in the window, but we already knew he was coming from January. So really I'm, I'm focusing on Bernadeschi, uh, Daniil Henry, Mark Anthony K, and obviously we talked a bit about Richie, but we'll just have an op- another opportunity to gush over Richie Larea again. Um, but in your opinion, gentlemen, did the club address their most pressing needs in this window, or is there another need that they have that they really need to go out and, and solve in the winter window? Well, there were two other departures. Uh Carlos Salcedo and Alejandro Pozuelo as well. So before this window, um, those were the biggest needs of the club. Uh, They needed, well, I mean, you mentioned Insigne. They needed that. Um, Bernard asked they needed a right winger really badly, like really, really badly. They did that. They brought in, you mentioned, or forgot Crescito too. So they brought in Crescito at left back. Um, they brought in Richie at right back. They brought in Daniil at center. Yeah, Mark Anthony. Yeah, of course. They got essentially every position on the field that they needed to to go out and address. Did they address everyone in the best way possible? Honestly, they did a pretty dang good job. Like, I don't think it's it's obviously far from finished. The, the building, but to be able to accomplish all of this in one summer transfer window is actually the more I think like really, really, really impressive. And TFC are a much better team, way better team than they were um, heading into this year than they are now. Yeah, I would say for the most part, yes. I mean, the additions are in positions where we drastically needed help. Um, I think probably the only area where we can kind of, we wish maybe we had maybe one more body is in that center back role. Um, but outside of that, like really can you complain on, and, and this is no knock on Henry, but I just think, you know, long-term that, that might be an area to where we'll definitely be addressing in the off season, but it will be, I think for, what we need to do for the remainder of this season, I think they did as best as they could within the short window. Like at the end of the day, some of the moves kind of were forced upon them. When you look at, you know, the Salcedo, like I don't think they had intended for that to play out that way. It did not. Right. Did not. So, so that, that's a great point. When you're looking at it from that point of view, they kind of were like, all right, we need that's a that's a hole that immediately needs fixing, but we maybe don't really want to long term fix it now. Just kind of like patch it, and they got a reliable MLS caliber center back, which is something we've all been asking for as as depth piece. So True. they kind of a, really what they did is address their address their depth, you know, knowing that all right, not all these pieces will be here next year, but at least we have some, we still have quality that we can work with. Um, what I really like about that too, 
John is, is the Henrys and the Richie Larea's those short term. Well, I, I I still don't know if Richie Larea is actually going to be a short term deal. We'll see. But the Henrys and Larea's the ones that you can just fit into sort of a, a short term. Those don't come around very often. No. Right. No. And the fact that they were able in such a short period of time to turn around and, I mean it kind of fell into their lap a little bit, but the fact they're able to turn around in such a short time and, and get those guys over the line and address a need, that's, that's impressive. Um, but, and you got to compliment them. Yeah. And I think that, and it's funny, I keep forgetting to add Crescito because it feels like he's actually been with the team really long. He's fit so seamlessly into the team that it feels like he's been here for a long time. Um, but yeah, those kind of short-term signings that you're mentioning, Mike and Sean, like, does that speak to sort of the power, I guess is the best word I can describe, of TFC? The fact that, you know, TFC can come to you and be like, hey, listen, I we need you. We need you for eight months. You know, here's some terms you want to sign. Most guys would like maybe balk. They might think like, I'll, I'll look at, at what else is out there in the market. But for those guys, it's like TFC, great, sign. Where do, where, where do I go? Give me my training kit. I'm ready to go, right? Like, does it speak to... The fact that the club can just kind of make those moves and has now the the nous in the in the market to make those kind of moves. Well, I think it it benefits both club and, and the player, right? A player like Daniil, like you get you know released from your contract, you're kind of playing that waiting game, hoping a team's at least going to be giving you an opportunity. You get an opportunity with. Your, the club that where you started, where you've always said you felt there's unfinished business here, you need, you're hungry because it's a World Cup year. Like it, it's really an ideal marriage, essentially. And same for Richie. It's like, you know, he probably he probably had, you know, from all everything we heard, he had other opportunities to stay in, in Europe. But he clearly he knew that by coming here, he's going to be playing game in, game out. Barring, barring injury, right? Like there's nobody on that roster where he has to fight to, to earn an 11. That's the combination. That, yeah. So I think so. it benefits both, not just, you know, like the, the, the reputation of the club. I think, I think the club also looks at it as maybe this could turn into something long-term for us. Let's take an opportunity here. This could be beneficial, beneficial for us in the long run. Yeah, a common, essentially, I'm going to echo what you're saying, Sean. It's a combination of things. It's the fact that both of those guys are hometown guys and know the club inside and out, very familiar, and the fact that the team needed both of those positions in both of those guys. So essentially echoing what, what Sean's saying, I think you're bang on there. Absolutely. And, and, and the reason I bring that up is just because, again, both players did have other options in terms of places they could have gone and, and gotten minutes. Again, maybe not necessarily, for in Richie's case, it might have been, yes, you're battling for some minutes, but he could have stayed in Europe, right? Like he had off opportunities to stay in Europe uh, and, and continue to, to get minutes. Uh, again, maybe not 90 minutes in game in, game out, but probably with some assurances that he would get solid minutes um, on loan. But he chose to come back, and and I guess that's that's kind of what I'm kind of getting to. Even with Mark Anthony K and and some other players, obviously getting a choice, he was traded. But it, it, again, just speaking to the idea that although TFC is kind of in this position right now, where they're kind of building and not in an ideal position in terms of the league table, they still have this ability to attract 
players to the club, again, given whether it's gravitas of Bob Bradley or the standing of the club or how much you're willing to spend on top end talent, that they're able to go out and get these small, these quote unquote smaller deals done um, where other clubs in the league just can't, right? They just, they either can't or don't have the ability or maybe don't have the, the technical analysis to be able to pull off these kind of deals. Yeah, that that's who TFC is. That's all of the above. And they're a big club. They've been acting like a big club. Bill Manning said the second that they signed Lorenzo Insigne, the club's profile has, was raised to a level it has never seen before. I think everyone can respect Toronto FC's ambition. I think the way that they treat their players is top-notch. And everyone who has left TFC, at least lately, very rarely you'll find someone who has anything bad to say about the club and the way that they're treated and, and the atmosphere. Like Bernadeschi's out here telling people, again, I think this is also maybe Bernadeschi um, trying to embrace himself with the fans a little bit, but he's out here telling people that TOC's facilities and everything like that are up to the same standards of Juventus. And that, again, uh, just little comments like that you hear on sort of a daily basis from everyone there at the club. It's It speaks volumes to, to the environment that TFC have created and the overall club that they've created. So kind of, I guess, she's echoing what you're saying there, Mike, is that, yeah, absolutely that, uh, that this club has a reputation and they've managed to, with this sort of new regime, new turning of the page, they've kind of managed to get back to sort of what that reputation is. And that that's a big ambitious club who wants to compete for every single trophy out there. And if you're part of Toronto FC, you're proud to wear the badge again. And I mean, I think we can we can all say facility wise, like TFC's, you know, within at least we can say within Canada, we're the gold standard when it comes to football facilities, right? Training on and off the pitch. They they invested in a in a they they need to do better. I'm not saying it's it's not the best, but like who in this country has a better training facility than TFC? I'm not saying an MLS. <laughs> MLS is different. There's, you know, all these new clubs that are putting us to shame. But yeah, like, like, like when they first came out, they invested in their training ground. They invest. I'm not BMO Field. It is what it is, right? Yeah, I don't uh, mind BMO Field. I, it, I think some people trash BMO Field. It, it's it's a fan. It's, it's I think what I, it's, it's, what do you want? It's, it's a football ground. Right? No, it's, it's, yeah, it's, I, I would just like to see the corners <laughs> more. You know, like closed off. That's it. But outside of that, like it's it's not a horrible pitch, or like a horrible stadium, right? It it is what it is, right? It's not. Love me a BMO field night, Sean. Come on. Oh, yeah, okay. I, get, I, get, I get it. Like it's a t- like look. My dad was a welder on the on the project, right? Like he says, it's a tin can stadium, right? They built it with you know with chewing gum and elbow grease, right? Like <laughs> it, that. It's not. It's not aesthetically the most pleasing stadium, especially as you go on away trips and you go like. You know, the guys that just came back from Nashville are gushing about Geodas Park, right? Like they, you know, I get it, you know, from the technological standpoints and its aesthetic beauty. Sorry, I know I'm going off a tangent here, but like the the aesthetic beauty of the, those stadiums are much higher, of course. But 100%. guess who the template was? This BMO field, right? Like the, the template in terms of how to build a soccer specific stadium that really captured soul of the game came from BMO field, right? Now, obviously, all those other teams then went on and stepped it up. 
and and made improvements upon that and now you can say things like sporting park in kansas city um obviously people will talk about mercedes i think it's ugly but whatever um you know but like i like bmo because bmo is a football ground it's a it's become a football ground to me and or soccer yeah but like (laughs) but i'm not gonna be started on that but like in terms of it's a football like it's a football soccer ground it just happens to have a, a CFL team that invades it sometimes. But, like, it, you know, that's what it is to me. And and that's all I need in, in a stadium. Obviously, people are going to want some more com- creature comforts. That's completely fine. Uh, but to me, you know, in, in terms of the, the atmosphere that BMO can have when things are going in the oh, right direction. When that place is packed and the, you've got a beautiful product on the pitch, honestly, like – it's not like you tell me what other I love the Raptors, but I still think like when BMO's live, it's the best sporting environment in the city. It's more natural. It doesn't have, you know, the the screen telling you when to clap or when to cheer or when to get hyped. It's the fans, right? That yeah. to me is more natural um, and organic than you can get at any sporting event in the city. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. Like the the facility itself can definitely be better. Vibes when you're at BMO Field, absolutely immaculate. Um, and I think it's more so due to the fans than it is the actual infrastructure yeah. of the of the stadium. Um, hopefully, yeah. As I think Graham here is pointing in the chat, 2026, we'll see some we'll see some renovations, obviously ahead of the World Cup, and we'll see what BMO kind of moves towards. But I I had so like a rival executive, me and the executive in the elevator. I'm going up to the media box. He's going up to his suite. And he just, he looked at me and was like, man, can't this stadium, do you think they should renovate the stadium? Is there not like improvements they can make to the stadium? And I'm like, nah, like BMO Field is BMO. Like there's something special about going down to to this field, the, the lake shore and, and all of that. But I, I think. I wouldn't want to see that. That's the problem. Like I don't want them to tear it down and, and I don't want to move. I love where it's located. I think it's it's really one of the best locations you can have within the city when you don't really have land to go anywhere else. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, and just one more thing. The, facility, yeah. the training facility at, at TFC, which is a great investment they've made, I don't think it's, it's close to perfect yet. I think there can definitely be some improvements there. Um, so... I guess we've gone on a, on a crazy tangent. Mike, just bring us back because I'm done. Yeah, talking. yeah. I was about I was about to reel us back in because we we're going into facility conversation. Um, but we'll 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 put a pin in that and maybe bring that into a future episode. Um, but I kind of wanted to go through a bit of uh, two points here in terms of just looking at the roster makeover. The one I wanted to ask you: most important signing during the summer window. I'm not including Insigne in here. So you have Bernadeschi, Henry, Mark Anthony K, Richie, and Crescito to pick from. So I'll start with you, Sean. Who was, in your opinion, the most important signing um, that the club made in this window? You have to pick one. No fence setting. No, like, oh, this scenario. No, pick one. See, it seems simple. And then you, then you got yeah. to Right, because it's there. There is no really. I mean, there's no right or wrong answer here, right? Because I think every one of those signings are, are what's needed. Um, 
So I'm going to play it safe, and I'm going to say because of the long-term uh, length of his deal, I'm going to say Bernadeschi. Um, okay. I would like to say, you know, defensively one of those two because, I mean, we see the difference in our defense of, like, the four backs, um, but only one of them's here long-term, or at least for another year or two. And, yeah, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go with a safe bet and say Bernadeschi. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. I thought I wanted to be hipster and kind of shout out Mimo because I think, and some of the things I've I've heard behind the scenes as well is he's made such a drastic improvement to the TFC back line. And I think quality wise, I think he's right up there with some of his fellow Italians at times. Like the, his skill is honestly unbelievable. His ability to play first touch, his the reads that he makes. Um, I didn't realize how good Krishita was, and I've I've been hyping up. I didn't even realize how good he was till he hit the pitch, and and he's really, um, really, really impressed me. But it's it's Bernadeschi. Uh, he's a DP for a reason. He's 28 years old. Um, the impact that he makes on that right wing is is something we probably haven't seen for TFC maybe ever. I'm not sure if we've had a right winger as good or anywhere as close to as good as as Bernadeschi. Um, so I, I think for, for that reason, and again, personality-wise, I think he does does a lot. Um, it's it's Bernadeschi for sure. Sure. Smart answer is Bernadeschi, 100%. <laughs> uh, I do not uh, disagree with you here uh, in terms of that, but I am also going to, but I am going to disagree with you. Um, just one, it's interesting. And two, um, you know, I just like to start flyers. So uh, I'm going actually with Mark Anthony K. And the reason I'm going with Mark Anthony K is because when he's in the lineup to when he's not in the lineup, you see a, a pretty big difference in, in the midfield in terms of how the ball is progressed, how they, how he can connect with Insigne. Um, usually he's going to probably play on that left side of that three with Bradley and Osorio. Um, and in terms of just being able to win the ball back and, and progress the ball, I, I think he's one of the better players in the team at doing that. And when he's not in the lineup, as you saw in Vancouver and New England, especially, and even in Nashville to a certain extent, you, th- this team with him in it will just a four, three game in Nashville is probably maybe a four, one game. Um, or maybe it, a, it was a still a four-one game if the game, game was called. Well, uh, we can get into the refereeing. <laughs> Fine, yes, absolutely. We got into that in the Tunnel Club, um, but uh, yeah, I, I think from a, a a being able to manage a game and manage the ball and being able to progress, I think Mark Anthony K is such an important pickup for this club. It's unfortunate that he came with a bit of a knock, and it seems to be following him a little bit. But once he can get fit and fully ready, I think he's going to be incredibly important to this team. An underrated and under sort of under the radar pickup, but um, which is crazy to say because normally he would actually be a really big deal in terms of just the amount of allocation and gam that was spent to get him. Um, but to me, Mark Anthony K. Okay, so I guess agree. some people not. Go ahead, John. Yeah, I'm no, that's fair. Kind of... That's fair. That, that's why I said it. The reason where where I I think here here's the thing again all of those players we brought in are improvements for the most part from where we were, yes. um, but 
when you take Bernadeschi and Insigne off the pitch, we are attacking wise, there's a massive, and I mean massive drop up. What they bring to the table, there's no one even close to it. And I get it. There's not that within the midfield, not that um, Jaden is anywhere near the level of Mark Anthony K, but there's still a, like the drop off between our midfield, like the level of play is totally different than the drop off with the depth of our forwards. I just think it's, we don't have any depth. Any, or I don't think there's anyone that can, that can compare or even play on at a decent level the way Bernadette. I agree. I, I don't disagree with you at all. I think, yes, you take, of course, they're DP players, right? You take them out and obviously offensively, yeah, you're you're nowhere near the same. But I think that adage also applies to the midfield, right? If you take Mark Anthony K and say Michael Bradley out of the midfield, that yes. midfield is, is that, that you know, it's a hole. It's a massive, massive hole that you just cannot fill. Um, and you don't have enough depth on the team. And that's obviously a problem that the, the club is going to have to address in the winter window. But there is an issue of depth there. And I think it, even taking Mark Anthony K out, I know everybody's going to point to the Chicago performance, his first game. I'm kind of giving a pass on that one because, again, short notice, played probably when he should not have played um, in that match. But when he's when he's in that lineup with Oso and Michael Bradley, that team is a different piece. And yes, you take the DPs out and offensively you're not the same. <laughs> of course. But I think with that midfield and maybe not the wingers in, you're you can you can maybe scrape out a result. You know, you can you can work on scraping out a result. It won't be pretty. You know, you you may get a you may be able to get a goal, but you you could stay in more matches than if you had the two wingers and you had a massive gaping hole in the midfield. Just my opinion. Well, when yeah, you throw Michael Bradley in that conversation, yeah, that makes a difference because then our midfield, like, we don't have a midfield. Right? You're asking Oso to be Superman, like, the whole game. And, you know, we love Oso, but, yeah, he can't be playing three different positions at one time. Well, he tries. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, all right. So lastly, in this segment here, I'm just going to have you guys grade the summer transfer window. Uh, a plus being the highest, obviously, and F being the lowest. I'm pretty sure we're all going to at least be, you know, passing grades here. So I, I won't be too concerned about that. But uh, Mike, I'll, I'll let you take the floor first. What grade would you give uh, Bob Bradley in, in this transfer window? So just based on all the things that we've already touched on, um, Mark Anthony K trade, I thought it was a good timely acquisition. I still think the price was slightly higher um, than the going price when you look at around other some of the other deals that were being made around that time. I still think it was, again, a really good trade. You get a valuable piece for a long time under cost control. So really like that deal. Mimo Crescito was and is proven to be an excellent signing, even though it was a little bit of a package deal, essentially, with, with Lorenzo Insigne. Um, Bernadeschi was a... I mean, whenever you're bringing in a 28-year-old who spent his a lot majority of his career with, with Juventus and obviously the rest in the Serie A, like it's a... That's a that's stuff that does, doesn't happen in MLS very often, so that's an unbelievable signing. The fact that 
they brought in Daniil Henry in the manner that they did. Um, they were willing to get rid of Pozuelo. They were willing to, even if it's just for pennies, like they were willing to move on Pozuelo for, to open up that DP spot. So they got that job done. Um, Jacob Schaffelberg. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're getting allocation money that ended up being needed for, for obviously the Richie move. Um, you're getting that for a piece you probably won't lose very much sleep over missing, which is no offense to, to Jacob, just sort of the role that he had on this team and the players that TFC are bringing in. And then, of course, the icing on the cake was Richie. So with that in mind, I it's tough not to to give this team an A or an A-plus, to be honest with you, um, because of the pieces that they brought in are... Like, we look at Mimo, and I think aside from maybe a Kai Wagner, he's probably the best left back in, in MLS. Lorenzo Insigne, you can make a... You can, don't have to go too far to this line. Yeah. You can probably make an army. He's the best left winger in Major League Soccer. Bernadeschi, in terms of a right winger, he's probably top two, top three in the league right now. And that's, of course, because Gareth Bale and Carlos Vela... Uh, exist and then right back Richie Lorenz man I'm throwing him right up there among the, some, the best right well, back I think he's the best right back in the league he was going to be paid like the best right back in the league if he yes. had signed this deal and I think he was arguably the best right back in the league exactly when you're bringing in those players it's tough not to not to give this team an A or an A plus um, in terms of the window and then of course Daniel Henry is the insurance for such a, a valuable um deal so yeah it's, it's it's a great window overall for tfc though there's still more work to be done absolutely sean we're great i'm gonna be saying the last time i gave a grade it, it came back in the team tank raft so <laughs> i'm gonna, gonna say i'm gonna be conservative and say a b and that's not that i really have anything to complain about any i i don't have anything to complain about but i just think the true grading of this of this window is how what happens between now and the end of the last game of the season if the I team makes agree. playoffs up to me and i know uh, that's me maybe play maybe being you know taking the the easy route but i think they're great i don't i guess maybe i would have liked to maybe one more player brought in up front because I have no confidence in our two strikers right now or any of our strikers outside of our wingers. And so for me, I just, you know, I wouldn't have been sad to see at least one of those guys on the bench go in order to bring in one more striker. So that's why I, for me, I will, I'm not complaining that we have, but I'll go with a B. Okay. The reason I just disagree with your, I guess, logic there and mindset based on the rest of the season is because each one of these signings are, except for Daniel Henry, are here beyond 2022. Yeah. Right? So I, I, I'm not sure if these are all long-term pieces. So. Yeah, but if we make the playoffs, then it looks like we, he these signings were A+. Plus. I right? think, I because think... the team went on an, an amazing role, and like you couldn't have asked for anything better. Yeah, but I what, still think these are A signings, though. What if the team so, wins MLS Cup in 2023? 
Oh, well, I, that's that's an ideal scenario, but that's a combination of now and the next, like all the windows building up until that point. Okay. Yeah, I, I, and I see your point, Sean. I, I, I'm going to give the team an A. Uh, the only reason it's not an A plus is I agree with Mike. In some cases, I think they just gave up a little too much in terms of allocation money and some of the sort of internal MLS moves, if you want to call them that, between um, the trade for Mark Anthony K and the the Gam Tam Shabam of Richie Larea, whatever that happened there like, between the number one and two allocation. I don't even want to get into that because that starts talking yeah. about roster allocation rules, and I, I don't care. But um, that's the only reason they don't get a plus. I, I think it's an A plus, and I think it could be an A plus not just for this season because this is kind of the core again aside from maybe the Neil Henry, who I actually think is probably going to end up sticking around with the club next year anyway I, I, I um so. this is the apex this is kind of like the core of the squad right now you're really going to start adding depth pieces in and around that kind of core that you just all brought in this window um and of course obviously the big one and we're going to get into this so i want to transition into this now before the end of the show is just the number nine position and the the striker position we got a lot of questions about that on the Tunnel Club. Uh, I asked for three burning questions. We got a lot of those questions. I even have one in the three burning questions because there's just been so many of them. This seems to be something that a lot of fans want to talk about in terms of do we have an issue right now? Uh, and when I say issue, I mean more of a do we have the right pieces right now at the number nine position? Um, for the club between Jesus Jimenez or Io Akinola. It seems like people are like kind of like the goalkeeping scenario are starting to take sides, which again, <laughs> sure. But, um, you know, I guess my first question from this is just, do you have confidence right now for the rest of this season in, it sounds like they're going to write it out with Jesus Jimenez, maybe as number nine, do you have confidence in keeping him in as in the starting 11 going forward? Um, Sean, I'll start with you. I'd have no confidence in either one of them if, if I'm being real, but I, so no, I don't think he's, I don't think we have the answer, right? I think they're going to ride him out simply because they feel he might bring a little bit more to the table than IO, but I don't believe they, I think at this point they've like, they've, they're hoping the goals are going to come from everywhere else and not focus it. Like they're not worried necessarily on scoring goals because of who we have around them. But I think long-term, neither one of those guys will be our number one option. And I don't think they can be after this season. I think I owe you have the ability because he's young. We know he can't had a major injury. You, you you know, mentally and physically, sometimes it takes a player a while to kind of really get back into it. But I would be willing to keep him as a piece, but I don't think, I just don't, I don't have confidence in, in him as. Okay, Mike. I'm not willing to write off any of those two just yet. Um, I think lately, neither have, have stepped up and shown that they want the number nine and they deserve to be starting as the number nine but i also think it takes time for both of these guys to 
to adjust to a no, new style of play, new players, new team. Like, there's no number 10 feeding Jesus Jimenez the ball anymore. It's now coming from the wings. I thought against Charlotte, he actually, I thought he looked really good against Charlotte uh, during that game. I thought he linked up well with the rest of the team. The one thing about Jesus, and I think it's a little frustrating, um, when you have Insigne and Bernadeschi on the pitch, he almost can't afford to have Hayes Jimenez kind of just moping around and, and not willing to, yes. to move and do some of the dirty work that I think yes. you ideally need of someone in that position when there is, um, when there are those guys on the pitch already. I think that was one of the biggest issues with pause and that's what they foresaw when they decided to move him. Io brings a little bit more to Jesus in that regard, in terms of he's probably a little bit more mobile, is a little willing to work a little bit more, willing to be a little bit more physical. But Jesus obviously has the quality. I, I again, I don't think I think they you show up Saturday, you score a goal or two goals. Now we're, we're we're talking like these guys. We're now praising our number nines and how good they can be with the rest of. The, I I I, I want to see how this. I got to give them a bigger I guess sample size in terms of games before I write them off. Am I confident in either one of them? Not entirely confident. No. No, and, and that's fair. I I like Jesus Ibanez. When I I feel like he's engaged in in the game. And you talk about that Charlotte game. You know what I felt made Hayes really great in that game is he was willing to run in between center max and get in behind a little bit um, and play a little bit differently. Obviously, he's a he's a skilled player with the ball at his feet, right? Like he's really, really great. And he likes to sometimes drift out, especially to the left, um, and pick up a ball and, and play, connect with players and things like that. But as you said, Mike, with and Lorenzo Insigne and a Bernadeschi, sometimes you just need to be in the box. You need to be in the box, mm-hmm. right? To, to, to provide a presence, whether again, it's to play one twos off of them or to, you know, be there for a cross, right? I think Bob Bradley's mentioned it, like bringing a little bit more of that work, bring a little bit more of that physicality because when he does, he's dangerous, right? Like you saw in Charlotte, he could have had that goal. Obviously he was offside, but that came from him being able to run in behind. Right, he just mistimed his run. But if he does that more often with those players on the pitch, I know that's not necessarily his natural game. But if he's willing to adopt a bit of that, I think he can be a number nine. I don't think right now the team necessarily needs a DP number. Like you must stamp, I must need a DP number nine to be successful in MLS. You don't need that. You need somebody who. Yeah. Yeah. You you right. You need somebody who can, like you said, do that work. And maybe somebody who's willing to run in behind, right? And and yes, all their goals aren't going to be pretty. Like Jesus Jimenez's early goals in the season, they were all really nice, well-taken goals that had low XG on them, right? And he's found it a little bit more difficult since that run to, to find those goals and find those opportunities. And I think if he can really kind of just stay in between the goalposts, I know it's kind of an old adage, but if he can stay between the goalposts, and, and find ways to connect that way. I think you're going to see a more successful Jesus Jimenez in the team. Yeah, and maybe like limit the amount of work that he has to do. Like for me, I'm I'm not even talking like 
when TFC are in possession. Although, yeah, I agree. I would like yes. to see more of those runs behind. I'm talking when they're they don't have the ball or Jesus Jimenez doesn't get a pass that he wants. It kind of seems that he kind of tunes off a little bit um, and isn't willing to do the work that's probably necessary out of your number nine when you have some of the teammates that you have on the pitch. So, listen, like, I know TFC, and I know TFC are probably think a similar way to this as well. And so, so some players in TFC, like, you look at NYCFC's former number nine, Tati Castellanos, and what made him so tough to play against wasn't the fact that he was a prolific goal scorer. It's that he was so physical and didn't give defenders time and worked his butt off to make sure your life was hell. And, and he played with that edginess and toughness that you don't want to, like when he's running at you, you want to get rid of the ball as quickly as possible because you don't want to go into a challenge with Tati Castellanos. I think the team wants to bring a little bit more of that out in Jesus Jimenez, that little more aggressiveness. And but is that his style? Is it? I, I don't. I don't. It. Like I think anybody. Can, it, it, it all sounds like he 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 likes to more, like. So for example, the last game, in my opinion, he was pretty invisible in that national game. Right. He wasn't. Like I didn't notice him on the pitch a lot. And whether that's a good or bad thing, I don't know. But from an attacking standpoint, I didn't really see him around or involved in, in, in you know. So I, I just don't know if that's his style. I think I think part of the problem is, is his style of play as an as a forward might not be suited for how we want to play, especially with the players that we currently have. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting because I actually think Io can do that, right? Like, I, I, I think the, the to me, the the thing with Io is right now, he's just missing a bit of that final touch in, in the final third and, and really just being able to bang in a goal. Right? If he could bang in a goal, I feel that his confidence goes way up. But I think he can do that work off the ball, Michael, that you're talking about, and he's more willing to do that work. So that's where I kind of wonder... And here's the, you know, the, the, the questions are being asked is, you know, is it time to maybe think about giving IO a run of starts and maybe not for the, I hate this, say sort of like a Dom Dwyer role, but like that, that's kind of like in terms of just like, hey, you may not, if you look, if you get on the end of something and get a goal, that's awesome. Really what we want you to do is press the center back when they're trying to play out of the back, be a nuisance that way. You know, track back sometimes on when we don't have the ball and try to be a nuisance that way. Maybe win win the ball back or pressure, you know, a midfielder or a center back into a bad pass so that we win it back. You know, is that a way to or is that maybe a way forward? Because I think, again, like I said, I really like Jesus Jimenez. Kind of reminds me as, as a very lower grade Dimitar Berbatov in that kind of way. Um, but if that's what you need out of your number nine in a Bob Bradley system, do you just look at it at IO and say like, based on, you know, profile and the amount of running he can do, is that what you, is that sort of a way to go forward? Yeah. It's, I think it's a, it's a, a little bit of a dilemma. I think Bob Bradley has is I don't think there's a right answer right now. Um, the thing is when you put IO on the field, there is that drop off in terms of, of linking up with, 
your your wingers. Like Io is, as you said, like I don't think he's technically um, no as That's great gifted. As, no. as gifted as as Jesus Jimenez is, and I know that the way that Insigne and Bernadeschi like to play, they're not necessarily the most direct players. Um, they like to bring their teammates in and involve their teammates in. Even Oso and, and Michael, they like to do that too. There's a very pragmatic approach about TFC, and I think that part of it fits Jesus really well. So I don't think either answer is perfect, but eventually, and maybe we're already there, but eventually um, you're going to get to the point where you just need to try something else because it's it hasn't been going Jesus' way recently. And I'd... I don't know if we're there yet. I, I do like I would like to see what this team looks like when Mark Anthony K is back inserted because I think Mark Anthony K does maybe help bring out the best in Jesus in a little bit different way because Mark Anthony K can do some of that running and he is willing to make some runs forward and and does help the team out in, in so many different ways defensively. Um but yeah, it's it's a tough question, I think, right now. Fair point. Fair point. Okay. Um, last sort of point in this segment is just winter window. Is this team shopping for a number nine with the, with that open DP spot? This window? Or, or the winter window. Okay. If you're Bill Manning and Bob Bradley, you have an open DP spot. The winter window opens. Are you shopping for a number nine? Yeah. So the, the DP will be addressed. They'll try to address it in the winter. It might get to the point where they need to wait till next summer. I guess we'll see, uh, depending on who they're targeting and what exactly the player's contract looks like with their other team. But I am not targeting a DP number nine yet. I'm waiting to see how Jonathan Osorio's contract situation plays out. And if he moves on from two... Yeah, probably just, not. just just keep going, man. Keep 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 going. Ignore that. Ignore that. <laughs> but if if Ozo decides that he, you know, the best move for his career, whatever best is to him, um, is moving on from Toronto FC, then I think you have to spend that on a central midfielder because Michael Bradley is obviously getting up there in age, um, and the loss of Osorio is going to be a big one. So they, they would just be too big of a gap there at central midfield. And I think we've seen it work in the past where TFC spend on two attackers as designated players and a, a pretty dang good DP central midfielder. And that recipe is, is a good one. So if they have a, I mean, a lot of people like to say the middle of the park is probably the most important in football, like just between your goalposts are probably the most important position, whether that's a center back or central midfielder or your, your striker. For me, it's, it's your central midfielder because they do everything um, in terms of defense, offense, all of that. So if you have the ability to go out and, and acquire a game changing box, box central midfielder, I, I would do that instead of a DP number nine, just based on the players TFC have. Okay. Sean, you got that. You got that DP slot open. Think, you going for a number I, nine? I think you know. I think Michael kind of laid it out perfectly. I mean, if you lose, also that becomes priority number one. It's just plain and simple. Like the num, 
we need to we already have got we already know we have two forwards that can put the ball in the net but if we lose also and you have an aging michael bradley like you're asking too much from again we're basically then going backwards and having some academy guys try to fill that role so for me it's a no-brainer it's kind of like the first move is, is isn't even our dp signing it's figuring out what happens with also and from there that kind of dictates the next the direction that dp contract goes what about a dp center back sean uh we tried that been there done that let's move on <laughs> no DP uh, center the only back way we're doing sean. a dp is if we're getting one of the top four dps in the world and you're willing to pay them astronomical money to leave whether it be england you know wherever which we i don't see happening let's not go there yet i would consider it if it's walker zimmerman maybe like if it's somebody like walker zimmerman maybe but because he's already on a dp deal right so if you're going after just him, because you know, they gave him doesn't mean we need to do that too no, but I mean the way you have to acquire him But if you're giving DP status, I'm sorry, DP a DP center back is a Virgil Van Dyke. It's not a, a Zimmerman. No disrespect, but I, if I want to spend, if my club's going to spend that kind of money, that's where I want them to spend. No, like, I, I, I don't want to spend money on a DP center back either. I, I to me, if that DP spot's open, I want Angolo Conte. But and yes, I'm willing to wait the summer to get him. But um, you know, if you if TFC are inclined to go that way, let's be real right now, you're not getting Virgil van Dyke, right? You're Fair probably enough, not getting I mean, a, a Dijit. You're not getting... But those you know, are, the only, those are the only players that worth giving a DP contract at center back. That's a lot of money you're giving away. Like, I'm like, again, I understand that, you know, Zimmerman, I'm not, and that's not knocking Zimmerman, you know, but like, I would rather... Be, you know, give him as much gam and tam as we can before giving him a DP contract. And I understand like once he's got that DP, like, you know, he, he figures he's up there. But, yeah. there There's that. I'm, I'm not sure if it was he's not a B, uh, Rob Bradley guy more than LAFC. LAFC were changing the way that they were recruiting players, right? Like, that's part of the reason Bob left, from my understanding of the situation at LAFC is they were going in a different direction and how they were going to recruit players. I just think if we're going to spend our DP money, there should be no rush in, in signing a player. It should be based off of the, you know, the best, what, what our actual need is at the time. And I think right now going into the off season, signing a DP is not our number one priority. I think number one will be addressing the also scenario because that determines so many directions the club goes into if he chooses not to resign. Okay, that's, that's a fair. That's a very yeah. fair point. That's a very point. I didn't really think about it that way, but that's a fair point, right? Like if you if if also stays, I mean, do you still try to find a DP central midfielder and maybe cut down Michael Bradley's minutes a little bit, right? Like, or do you go for that? DP number no, I, I would that's probably still probably the better option though right because again that to me it's a better option is you stay in midfield and you go get it you, you don't necessarily somebody. need a number nine to put the ball in the net that's not going to be something I think we're going to be lacking for 
Well, I think you can find somebody in MLS who, again, are, again, they may not a serviceable be serviceable number nine, but not. Yeah, a you can find a serviceable number nine in, with an MLS to to do that job. I mean, Romel Kyoto yeah. is is a pretty good a striker in MLS right now. It's Romel Kyoto. No offense to him, right? But like, so that from that perspective, I think you can find somebody in the league to do that. Obviously, if if this if the right situation comes around and an out of this world striker becomes available and they show any inkling of wanting to come to like use an example, Harry Kane, not saying it's going to happen. Right. But if Harry Kane all of a sudden, you know, wanted to become, well, look, if he wanted to become a, like, if he wanted to leave Spurs in, in this, it, it's a dream scenario. Of course it's a dream scenario. It's it's not a dream. I don't know if that's a dream for some fans. Uh, fair enough. To not. me, you, you go get Harry Kane. Right, like all due respect to, to midfielders, even Dylan Golo Conte, yeah, you probably go get Harry Kane, right? But aside from that, like you can find someone in MLS who can pop in ten goals, and it won't be pretty goals, and they don't have to be, right? And that's kind of how I would probably look at spending that DP spot is probably on the central midfield. Yeah, there is, yeah, there is that, and that's the same thing Sean's saying with a defender. Right? If you get a world-class player, regardless of the position, if there is that threshold where they're good enough, you pull the trigger just because they're that type of player and they're that Fair. good. Um, and you, you could plug in different holes and, and figure out how to make the team around those types of players. But there's only there's only a couple of those players. There's only, yeah, that's what I mean. There's only uh, – you can count them on your fingers. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, let's wrap up the show. This week uh, with three burning questions from the TFC live community. Uh, so let's go. The first one, we kind of addressed this um, in the last segment, but a lot of people were just simply asking, does IO start this weekend? I Michael, think so. Or go, Sean, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. I think he deserves a start, but that's me, my opinion, not necessarily where I think the coach is going to go. But I think he deserves, I think. I think we need to kind of spark a little change up front with our number nine because I don't think we've been getting as much or we've been getting anything from that role. No, because I think the team wants to figure out how to get the best out of Jesus still. They made a really big investment in Jesus. Um, He still needs time to acclimate to obviously the rest of the team. And look, if you consider the Vancouver game, let's say, a draw because they lost in penalties. TFC are unbeaten in their four matches when Bernadeschi and Insigne plays. So the team is still moving in a positive direction. I think you just you have some time here to get Jesus going. And I think that's probably a bigger, based on the investment that they made, it's probably a bigger priority to get Jesus going than it is at IO at this time. So I don't think uh, Jesus comes out of the 11. Okay, perfect. Second question, um, rewording this a little bit differently from what was asked, but Danny kind of asked, and I'm going to reword it a bit, Danny, because I think this is just a more interesting way to go. Uh, with the play of Lucas McNaught in the last couple of games, he has almost felt like a new signing in a way, just in terms of how he's able to sort of elevate his game in the last little bit. Do you just keep rolling with Lucas McNaughton as a starting center back uh, in your 11? Mike, uh, Mike, I'll go with you first. Yeah, I think Lucas has deserved it. Um, I think he brings some qualities, especially as a right center back that TFC don't have. Um, 
And I think having the rest of the team on the pitch take a little bit of pressure off him has helped him as well. He's one of the best on the team, I think, in terms of center backs with the ball at his feet. And I think right now with the way that TFC want to play, uh, that works very well in sort of his game. And I think it's he's confident. He's eager to help the team out. And I think he's doing a really good job. So I think you, you roll with, with Lucas until, uh, until otherwise. I don't think there's anyone really that's going to step up and take his job away. Yeah, I, I have to agree. I think he's earned that starting job. Like, he's just put in the work. Uh, he's shown the improvement. He's become solidly reliable. Like, you, you kind of don't really – like, I don't really when, – when I look at the, the lineup and he's out there, I don't really be like, oh. I'm like, all right, let's 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 do it. It's truthfully, like, I, I'm more worried, like, what Chris Mavinga are we going to get? Not not about Lucas McNaughton. So I at this point, I've got he's getting more confidence out of me than than Mavinga has. Okay, perfect. So that's two for two, and, and just for me, it would be three for three. I think Lucas McNaughton's been fantastic. Keep him in the lineup. Um, I know we, even if Shane O'Neill gets healthy, um, I think you could find time to plot Shane O'Neill into the eleven, maybe even with him. Even though I know they like to go right foot, left foot at center back, um, but you could plot Shane O'Neill, I think, in there, and they can play well together uh, as a pairing. Uh, and last question, uh, who did uh, the hairdo swap better, uh, Lorenzo Insigne or Federico Bernardeschi? If those who do not know, uh, Federico Bernardeschi and uh, Lorenzo Insigne kind of did their own version of Freaky Friday where they uh, switched hairdos. So Lorenzo's gone with the blonde uh, look and Bernardeschi's gone back to his more natural brunette. Uh, so uh, I'll start with you, Sean. Who did uh, the switch better, uh, Berna or Insigne? I'm going to say Insigne actually looked better with the bleach blonde, in my opinion. Okay, you like <laughs> the Cisco look. You you like in the rock and the the not well. I guess Cisco's more silver, but he went. Cisco's my generation, and you know if I when maybe one day I'll I'll, I'll let the, our fans see a picture you, of me in blonde days. Oh, oh, <laughs> yeah, oh, I went there. Oh. I went there when I was young. I thought I was hip. I think the fans need that one, Sean. Oh, I need Sean. <laughs> it's out there in the social media. World. It's out Trust there in the sphere. Okay. I think TFC Live have their mission now. Uh, how, long ago? how old were you? Uh, how old am I now? No, how old were you when you had the blonde hair? Yeah, I would say around 23, 24. Oh, we need that. I need that. Cisco was live and. It was, yeah. There's some people listening to this who weren't even alive in Cisco. Yeah, they're like, who's Cisco? Thing. Like, what's yeah, that? Well, Cisco. that's another show, kids. Yeah. Okay, bye. <laughs> you going Bernard? Um, you going Insigne? Yeah. So I told the story on the last podcast about me being at training, so, and not being able to recognize Bernadeschi because I, I saw Insigne, obviously, with the bleach bond, and Bernadeschi kind of just stood in, but. I like my DBs having a little bit of flair, a little bit of swagger, and being able to stand out a little bit. So I'm going to go with my boy Insigne, going blonde. And obviously, hey, with that Galazzo, it works. So, hey, if you're going to keep doing that, stay blonde, man. I don't care if you dye your hair pink. Just yeah. keep doing that. Well, you know, I'm sure Lucas Benotton gave him some, uh, some bleaching hair tips. tips. <laughs> uh, some hair tips, you know, to, to get that just, just right. Um, I'm going to go with Berna. Uh, I thought he looked pretty good, uh, and uh, and obviously he also got himself a goal. 
So really, uh, you know, just, uh, yeah, exactly. Just keep on dying those hair points. As long as those goals keep going in, um, you know, maybe give Jaden a, no, don't, don't, don't do that at all. Just keep, keep your, keep your hair as is you're, you're perfect as you are. Okay. Uh, we'll wrap up a maximum of two players at one time. Who time with bleach blonde. Hey, well, the last DP that went bleach blonde was Pozuelo and he went Pozuelo in 2019 to go to a cup final. So, um, good omens, good omens, uh, in that regard. Okay, guys, we'll wrap up the show. Uh, again, uh, thanks for listening to uh, Toronto Till I Die. We we love the comments. We love you guys interacting with us. Thank you so much uh, for listening. If you could do us a favor out there, like, uh, subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and then if you can, please drop a review. Uh, that helps us in terms of the good old algorithm um, and getting us out there to more TFC heads. Uh, we'll be back next week with another Toronto Till I Die show. Um, and also we will be back with a tunnel club show, uh, this weekend after TFC's, uh, match against Portland at home. Uh, but for, uh, Michael Singh, you can follow him at Michael Singh 94 on Twitter. And for Sean Levy, you can follow him at CDN footy. It's Mike Newell. You can follow me at football saves. Have yourself a great week, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. And wait, and wait. And baby, I'm TFC till I die.